Here's the set list for the tour. These are uh, the questions, the topics. Now, I have clips posted on BillOReilly.com. If you are a premium or concierge member, you get to see a lot more. But if you're just somebody who's watching me on the first TV, listening to me on WABC Radio or all our other outlets, you can go there. We have some clips for you. Uh, but the major clips are shown to our premium members. Um, but anyway, I'm going to give you uh, the topics that we discussed. And I'm going to run in some sound from Donald Trump right now. All right, so the first topic was Putin. How dangerous is he? And I asked President Trump to assess him uh, on whether he's willing to start a conflict in Europe with Ukraine. Then we went to Xi. How dangerous is he? Is he going to invade Taiwan? All right. Third topic was, should China be punished for COVID? And Donald Trump said China should pay reparations to the USA and every other country. And that made some news. So he had never said that before. How did the vaccine get developed so quickly? It was a nine-month process. And did Trump get sabotaged by the CEO of Pfizer? So that was fascinating. How he got it up and running because he made deals, individual deals. And remember, no other country in the world has a vaccine. Even now. Just us. Um, Then, uh, were you surprised Afghanistan collapsed so fast? And what was your role in that? And then... Were you surprised that President Biden opened the border his first day in office? Come on in. Did that surprise you? All right. So these were all asked to Donald Trump. And then we got into January 6th, which I think was the most important part of the history program in both Fort Lauderdale and Orlando. So I asked him, look, you are being accused of instigating the attack on the Capitol by a House committee, you're being accused of doing that. What say you? Roll the tape. One other thing that nobody knows, I knew how large this was going to be because everyone I knew was saying, oh, we're going to be there in the six. We're going to be there no matter where you went. I said, I think this is going to be really big. And I asked the Secretary of Defense, I said, I think you should recommend to Nancy Pelosi and to Congress because they're the ones that control it. I would like to recommend 10,000 National Guardsmen to go and to police here, just in case. I didn't do it as an order. I did it as a suggestion. Because remember, they run the police. Uh, Pelosi, Pelosi and Schumer run that whole so operation. So, so a lot of people don't know this. They don't like to report it. All right. So we immediately checked that out. Did Donald Trump a day before, on January 5th, tell his Secretary of Defense, Christopher Miller, to request 10,000 guardsmen to protect the Capitol and other government offices. So here's what we found from Miller on a sworn testimony. Put it up on a screen. Quote, on the afternoon of January 5th, I received a call from the president in connection with a rally by his supporters that day at Freedom Plaza. The president asked if I was watching the event on television. I replied I'd seen the coverage of the event. He then commented that they were going to need 10,000 troops the following day, unquote. So that call was made, all right, to then Secretary of Defense uh, Christopher Miller. Now, whether it got to Pelosi and Pelosi turned it down, I can't confirm that. But that's what Donald Trump says happened. But there's no doubt 
that he did want the guard in there one day before the attack on the Capitol. And that undercuts the entire premise that Donald Trump instigated the Capitol attack. So I thought that was pretty important. Okay. Now, I asked him a number of other questions about assessing people, individuals. And I said, look, I don't want a hatchet job here, but you know these people. And I need to know how you feel about them. And one of the names was Barack Obama. I spent a long time with him, as you know, in the ceremonial, like, let's get together very early on. And I mean, what I did learn, and I liked him, I got along well with him, I got along well with Michelle Obama. Now that, you know, the crowd was a little quiet there. I thought that was interesting. Um, And this was the most interesting thing that happened. So in Orlando, I I try to, you know, all the shows are different. All right. So the Lauderdale show, that was a set list I gave you. And I I mixed it up a little in Orlando and in Houston and Dallas next weekend. I'll I'll bring in new things and we'll do it differently because I want to, you know, keep it fresh. So I asked uh, President Trump, if you are reelected, and there's no doubt he's running again unless something happens, you know, that's nobody foresees. He will run again. Um, If you're reelected, will you order the Justice Department to investigate Hunter and Joe Biden? Roll the tape. I don't want to hurt a family. I'll be honest. Look, look, we've got a president. We've got a president. Now, we've got to be fair. We've got a president. There's... They're very angry at this family, aren't they? Look, I can say this. What they've done to my family is a disgrace, okay? What they've done to my family. And people want that to happen. It's almost a question that I get more than anything, because you know it's so corrupt. And again, it's being looked at right now. It's a shame that it has to be looked at. Millions of dollars came out of China. Millions of dollars came out of Ukraine. Millions of dollars came out of Russia. These are all places that we're dealing with now. Now, because Donald Trump did not say, yes, he would investigate Hunter and Joe Biden in their financial transactions with foreign nations, that crowd in Orlando, <laughs> they voiced their displeasure. And, and that took the president by surprise. And me too, I have to be honest, I, because it was, it was loud. I mean, you only heard a little of it, but boy, the whole place shook. Um, interesting. Um, I learned um, a lot I didn't know, but one thing very important. You remember in the first impeachment was because President Trump called Ukraine, Ukrainian President Zelensky and talked about Hunter Biden. And he said, if you have, Mr. Zelensky, any information about Hunter Biden and corrupt dealings, please let us know. For that, he was impeached. Donald Trump was impeached. Okay, but I did not know until the president told me that there is a treaty right now, and it was uh, signed by Bill Clinton in 1998, called the United States of America and Ukraine on Mutual Legal Assistance in Criminal Matters. I'll repeat it. A treaty between the United States of America and Ukraine on mutual legal assistance in criminal matters. And that treaty says 
that if there's questions about any dealings by either country, Ukraine or the United States, they have a right to the information. Now, why I didn't hear that or nobody reported that or the congressional uh, hearings on impeachment didn't mention that, stunning. Because that was the basis for the first impeachment. And the second impeachment, the basis was Donald Trump incited the, uh, the riot. So you can see how this history tour is really narrowing into very, very important items. All right, joining us now from Austin, Texas, is a guy I've known for decades, a presidential historian, Douglas Brinkley, author of many, many fine books, the latest being American Moonshot, John F. Kennedy and the Great Space Race. Makes an excellent Christmas gift. All right, based on what I've said so far, uh, Doug, um, what's your impression of the Trump history tour? Well, you know, Bill, it's fascinating because most presidents get out and uh, out of office and try to quickly do a memoir. Uh, I, I noticed that President Trump um, has a book out about more of a kind of photo type of book, but you're really developing a transcript an oral history um, of Trump. And it's it, his subduedness, um, I find fascinating in the sense that I think he put up his main defense on January 6th with you which is that he did request um, from the Secretary of Defense and to Pelosi um, that there would be more troops surrounding the Capitol. And I think that's um, important to follow that path because that will be Donald Trump's defense uh, in front of the Congressional Commission. Um, and second, when he said nice things about Barack Obama and, and was pretty calm about the Biden family, it showed me, if, if you're correct, and I believe you are, that he's going to be running for president, all things considered, in 2024. He did, I mean, in 2026, he did seem to, um, you know, want to show himself as moving a little bit more towards center-right, not hard-right. Uh, you know, when he's campaigning, he really goes after people, but I think he's taking this exercise with you seriously as creating a more sober-minded, less euphoric or, um, you know, type of, um, you know, memory for people. And it, it, it's a strategic move, he's, the way he's playing this right now. Well, and I did have extensive conversations. I, I'll, I'll tell you again that I did not tell President Trump uh, any of the questions. I never do that. I'm a journalist. Journalists don't do that, okay? But I did say that this is very serious because we have four cameras recording everything. We are getting transcripts and the only two people in the transcripts will have them in the world is me and him. They're not going out to the press, they're not going anywhere. I said, if you wanna establish a baseline of your presidency, here is where you can do it. And in front of 12,000 witnesses, okay? So I think the audience was a little stunned. As I said, some of them thought it was going to be some rally and we were going to go sing country music songs. No. Um, but I must compliment the 45th president of the United States. He didn't break a sweat. Not, he didn't tell me anything that wasn't untrue. And believe me, we checked. So we checked Christopher Miller. And everything that he said, we checked. All right, because that's who we are. And so I think the importance of this is vast. And then the success of it, Doug, 
shows the country how much the press hates Donald Trump and that hatred's going to grow. And even when he has a success like these shows, I mean, more than 30,000 tickets sold in the middle of a pandemic. Who can you know, do Bill, that? It reminds me of uh, when Theodore Roosevelt, who was the last president who was sitting president and then decided to run again as ex-president. We talked about Grover Cleveland doing that in the 19th century, but Theodore Roosevelt did it in the 20th. The difference is Donald Trump is not going to run a third party like TR did with the bull moose. He's, he's pulling together the GOP. And I think Lindsey Graham early on um, had warned him um, earlier this year that you don't need to go far right anymore. They love you. Um, you can tact a little bit towards the center. And I felt that that was a baseline that he was making with you. And I think your word baseline's the perfect word. I felt that he's really starting to leave tracks on almost like doing a memoir with you, uh, which is going to have great historic value. And these will get out. Uh, you and President Trump might own the transcripts, but they'll leak out somewhere, somehow, somebody in a crowd that big will have them. And so he has to err on the side, I would think, of caution when he's dealing with anything that might have legal implications. But he was trying to come up as a good guy with you with the way I think he answered that Obama question. Um, he's known for the birther bit with Obama. And here he's saying, I like them both. And that will play well for more, more center um, conservatives, but not, not the hard right. Well, look, I, when he asked me about running, I said to him, and, and as I said many times, Doug, presidents from Bill Clinton on have asked me my opinion on certain things. And as an American, I'm, if a president asks me an opinion, I, I'm, I'm going to give him the opinion. All right. So I said, look, if you're going to run again, if you really want to do that, because you know they're going to put you through hell. I mean, as I said, the president's going to hate him more if possible. I, I don't know if that's possible, but they are. Okay, you got to run on your record. You got to run on your record. You can't run on draining the swamp or the election was a fraud or, or any of that. You got to run on what you did foreign affairs. Okay, what you did on the border, what you did in economics, how you contained inflation. And I said, that's what this is all about. I did ask him about the economy, not a lot because the economy is kind of a ponderous thing and people understand. But you know what? He didn't take a lot of cheap shots on Biden. He a few, a few. All right. That because I asked him flat out, I said, do you think he's a diminished man? Do you think he knows what he's doing in there? And Trump could have wailed on that. He said, President Trump said, I think other people are advising him and he's he's doing what they tell him to do. And by the way, do you think that as a presidential historian about Joe Biden? Yeah, Biden's had a very rough year. And I could have I, I would have thought that Trump on these rallies would have just been punching away at Biden, uh, making inflation the big issue, talking about the uh, failure in Afghanistan, um, the problems with vaccination dissemination. Um, but instead, he again is, is taking a little different tack. I'd be curious to ask you, Bill, on COVID, I mean, does he seem to be proud of Operation Warp Speed? Yes. Is that something he's going to run on? Uh, that I don't know about. Actually... I don't know if he'll run on it. He, I think he's going to run more on China owes us and everybody else money. He was hard on that reparations thing, which he had never said before. But what he did say, and the area that I got into is, Donald Trump's a deal maker. 
That's how he, he, he conducted his whole presidency, making individual deals. Well, he hauled in those pharmaceutical companies and he said, if you can do this, I'll pay you this amount of money. All right. The government will pay you billions and billions of dollars if you can do it. That's how it got done. Because they went back and said, whoa, we're going to get all this money. So we full court press it. And I, he, he wasn't so going, I did it, I did it, I did it, like he usually does. All right, Donald Trump does, does that a lot. He didn't do that this time. He just said, we made him a deal as maybe the Godfather once said they couldn't refuse. And it worked. Would you, Bill, consider bringing these out in a book form with, with President Trump? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just trying to get through the next two shows. Yeah. So, you know. And, you know, he's going to be judged by crowd size. Uh, that's going to be the media story is how large are the crowds. And your feeling is they couldn't be bigger. Well, is I mean, if you, if you do four shows and you've sold already 30,000 tickets with a, probably another four or 5,000 to come, you do the math. You do the math. Nobody can do that. No one. Yeah, I think I think most ex-presidents people judge how much advance money they get for their memoir, how much did Barack Obama get paid, or how sure. much. Sure, and, and if Clinton... Trump wanted Trump's uh, the book you mentioned in Trump has sold two hundred thousand copies at seventy-five bucks a pop, and they ran out of books. So I don't, but I'm not even involved with that, and I can't yeah. tell anybody how much President Trump's getting paid. It's my production company, as I mentioned, that's putting this on. But I'll tell you what. There's nobody in the world that could command the kind of money that he's making and the audience that has already purchased the tickets. Yet, if you read on the Internet, you would think that this is a bomb. There's nobody there. Uh, and, and that brings me to my last question for you. This has changed. This is a game changer, Doug. When you can lie about the president of the United States with impunity, you can say whatever you want to say. No matter how unfair and inaccurate it is, then where do we go from there? What's the antidote to that? Antidote. Well, I think, what, what, I think what's so, the antidote to that? Well, I think it's um, you're it's just showing clips like you're doing and showing the enthusiasm. Uh, you know, people are always on whatever your future performances are. I know you're going to Houston and Dallas. Everybody's looking for Trump to say a blunder, something that's going to be destructive to his career in the media world. Uh, in many ways, if he can come out of all this unscathed, I think he will be advanced. I had one quick question. Is there any possibility, Bill, in the scenario of him becoming Speaker of the House, as some have intimated? If None. You think that's just none? None. So... Um, okay. What the Trump apparatus is now is fundraising for the next run. That's the and entire how apparatus. Media, how is he, Trump's media organization going to play into that? Can Listen, he I did, that? I'm not involved with his campaign at all. Um, I had to deal with them as far as uh, marketing these shows. So I don't know. I can't answer that question. What I can say with certainty is that he wants to be president again. He believes that he has enough votes to win, particularly because President Biden is doing so poorly and he doesn't believe President Biden has the capacity to come back. 
you know, with inflation the way it is now in November, 8.3%, Doug, now we're talking a pain level. So it yeah. may be too early for the Republican Party, you know, we'll see next uh, midterms. But Trump really believes that he can do it. And that's where 100% of his energy is focused. And he seemed very calm and collected. Did that surprise you that, that, that his demeanor was- Well, I um, told him if he wasn't calm and collected, that I would have to hang around with him more. And he didn't want that. <laughs> All right. So that was an incentive. And I was the whip guy. I was the one that told the people who, you know, sort of yell and knock it off. Okay. So he didn't have to do any of that. I was the bouncer. Anyway, Doug, look, I, I hope you get to see the Houston show. Uh, if you do get to see it, I'd like you to come back maybe next week and we'll talk about it. Uh, and thank you very much for uh, your comments today. Hey, thank you, Bill. Merry Christmas. See you. Now, Texas right now is the most important state in the union as far as politics is concerned. All right. Now, let me make the case. And this is a, very important. Texas is the second largest state next to California. It has 38 electoral votes. There is a trend to go blue in Texas. It is primarily a conservative state, remains so. But there has been inroads made from the Democratic side, the liberal side. The press, generally speaking, in Texas is liberal. No newspaper, major newspaper, endorsed Donald Trump. They all endorsed Joe Biden, with the exception of Dallas Morning News, which didn't endorse anyone. Okay? The press and the local news is left-wing in Texas, in San Antonio, in Houston, in Dallas, the three largest cities. Austin is very, very left-wing town. Okay, now, because Texas is so vast, the folks who live outside of the big cities are conservative, and therefore, it remains a red state. But California, New York, and Illinois will never vote Republican on a national election, and that is 104 votes, electoral votes, those three states alone. If Texas were to go blue, that would be 142 electoral votes out of the 280 needed to be president. That would be in the Democrats' pocket. They wouldn't even have to campaign. Okay? That would just skew our democracy right out. And it would be almost impossible for a Republican to win the presidency if Texas flips blue. That's how important this state is. All right? It, and it's a battle zone. Um, for all kinds of things. Now, when I go down to Houston and Dallas, I'm going to change the Trump history format and open with the border, because that is, I think, the biggest story outside of inflation in Texas. It'll be very interesting to have President Trump give us uh, a unique view on how he did secure the border and how tough it was to do that. So that's what we're going to open up with. So joining us now from Dallas is Dr. Matthew Wilson. He's the director of the Center for Faith and Learning at SMU, Southern Methodist University, and he teaches political science there as well. So we're pleased to have you. In my description of Texas, am I making any mistakes? 
No, I think you're exactly right. Uh, I think Texas remains a state that leans right, leans Republican, uh, but not to the degree that it once did. And so it really is a linchpin for the future of American politics and the party balance in this country. Now, what has driven it left? There are a variety of things. Uh, part of it is demographic change. So Texas is a majority minority state that is African-Americans, Asian-Americans, and Latinos together comprise a majority of the population of the state of Texas. So that demographic change has been an important factor. The other thing is that the uh, democratic trend in the suburbs of Houston and uh, of, of uh, Dallas and of San Antonio uh, has, has worked to the democratic advantage as well. So you put those things together and that's what's made Texas more competitive in recent years. Now, a lot of people are moving to Texas from California and other liberal states because Texas obviously doesn't have a state income tax and is much more business friendly. Those people bring their liberal sensibilities. Are you seeing that? You know, people talk about that a lot, but the data actually suggests that that's not really the case, uh, that actually people who have moved into Texas from other parts of the United States are a bit more Republican than the rest of the electorate. So uh, the Texas move towards a more competitive politics is really not primarily about people moving in from out of state, because some of them do bring conservative sensibilities because they have seen things in places like California that they really object to and don't want to see replicated in Texas. Okay. So Texas's political future lies in the hands of Latinos. And a recent poll said that they're pretty much evenly divided, Latinos are, between the Republican and Democratic Party, 37% each. Uh, I noticed that in Starr County, down on the border, uh, that went for Trump. And I don't think it's ever been voted uh, Republican before. It's always been a Democratic county, but because of the chaos on the border, um, uh, people down in the border regions are getting more conservative or supporting Republicans in greater numbers. So do you believe that the Republicans have a chance to persuade Latino voters in Texas that their party is the one that Latinos should support? Absolutely. And this is really the story politically in Texas going forward. And I would argue it's one of the most important stories in American politics going forward is what happens with Hispanic or Latino voters. Um, the whole story we've been hearing for two decades about the emerging Democratic majority rests on the assumption that Hispanics continue to vote two to one for Democrats. That did not happen in Texas in 2020. And Republicans don't think it's going to happen in Texas in 2022. They see significant inroads, particularly with the Tejano communities uh, along the border. And if Republicans can break even with Hispanic voters, that's game over for the Democrats uh, okay. because Republicans so, are going to win the Anglo vote in Texas. Right. So if they I mean, break even in Hispanic communities, then, then that is a huge, huge asset to the GOP. Now, you have Beto O'Rourke challenging the incumbent governor of Texas. Uh, that election is next November, I believe. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. How do you see that as it stands now? I see Governor Abbott having a strong advantage in that race. Uh, you know, Beto O'Rourke gave Ted Cruz a bit of a scare in 2018. 
But things are different in 2022, they will be, than they were in 2018. It'll be a stronger Republican year nationally, by all indications, whereas 2018 was a pretty strong Democratic year nationally. Um, and some of the bloom is off the rose of Beto O'Rourke. Um, he was really kind of a phenomenon and a celebrity in 2018. People talked about Betomania on the campaign trail. Uh, but after his failed presidential bid, there's not quite the same level of excitement in the electorate about Beto O'Rourke. Uh, plus, he's going to be running against a very well-funded uh, incumbent Republican governor in a year that should lean to a Republican advantage around the country, including Texas. I would be very surprised if he were able to unseat Governor Abbott. Now, O'Rourke is a, a fairly uh, far-left guy, is he not? Right. Yeah, certainly to the left of the median Texas voter. I think that's safe to say. All right. Final question. When I worked down there uh, in Dallas, it was not a liberal media, generally speaking. Um, now it is in Texas. How did that happen? Well, I think it mirrors trends that we've seen around the country that just disproportionately, by and large, and there are exceptions, but by and large, people who choose to go into the career of journalism lean to the left. And so Texas media today just look a lot more like uh, national media around the country, where the, the predominant political sentiment is pro-democratic and, and is on the left. And, you know, people control that with professionalism to varying degrees. Some do a good yeah, job of that and of being neutral, others don't. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's, it's bad in Texas, the media, as it is in New York and California, and, but I suspect it is. Um, we're not letting any press into, uh, you know, they, if they wanna come, they can come, they have to buy a ticket uh, into the uh, history shows of Donald Trump because we know we're gonna get ripped no matter what happens. Uh, and I expect that to happen in the Houston Chronicle, Dallas Morning News. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised, uh, but I would be very shocked if we get a fair treatment down there. Last word. I, I would say that the, the media have been uh, particularly critical of President Trump. They, they will continue to be largely critical in his post-presidency. But what I'll say about Texas and about Texas politics is look next year at what happens with Hispanic voters in Texas. If Republicans do well among the Latino vote in Texas, that bodes well for the GOP, not only in this state, but around the country in the years to come. And Democrats see that erosion of Hispanic support as a five alarm fire, and they are very concerned about it, and it definitely well, it bears be. watching. I mean, inflation hurts working class people. There's no doubt about it. Hey, doctor, we really appreciate your expertise. You were a great guest. Thanks for helping us out. Thanks for having me. Okay. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the largest online nursery in the USA? With more than 10,000 plant varieties and millions of satisfied customers. I have their trees and plants at my home, and they're fantastic. Have you had your fair share of landscaping woes and wasted weekends at crowded nurseries? Finding fast-growing trees will be like stumbling upon a hidden treasure, believe me. With fast-growing trees, it's different. From fruit trees to houseplants, they have it all delivered right to your doorstep. Plus, their plant experts are always available for advice. And here's the best part. This spring, they have up to half off on select plants. And my audience can get a extra 15% off 
by using promo code Bill at checkout. So please go to fastgrowingtrees.com, use promo code Bill at checkout. All right, let's go to crime. So, you know, we almost talk about San Francisco too much. City's done. It's finished. And I'll, I'll prove it in a moment. So the mayor there is a woman named London Breed. She's been in office since 2018. Far left. All right. And she herself diverted $120 million away from the San Francisco police into welfare programs. $120 million. And San Francisco is not that big a town. So now, because crime is so out of control, she's getting tough. London Breed is getting tough. Will it take? It's time that the reign of criminals who are destroying our city, it is time for it to come to an end. And it comes to an end when we take the steps to be more aggressive with law enforcement, more aggressive with the changes in our policies and less tolerant of all the bull that has destroyed our city. We are going to turn this around. Hypocrite of the year, you got it. She wins, hypocrite of the year. So you're going to put the 120 million back, Mayor Breed, to the cops that you took away from them? And you can't do a damn thing because Chase Bodine, the DA, is not going to prosecute anybody in San Francisco. Maybe a rapist, maybe a murderer, maybe. But nobody committing property crimes or drug crimes. So you can arrest them all day long and they're not going to get prosecuted. Because you and your little far-left cabal have ruined the city. And let me prove that. New arrivals to the Bay Area are down 45% since March 2020. And those exiting the area up 21%. So nobody coming in, people coming out. But here's the real kicker. San Francisco has the steepest drop in business travel revenue of any other place in the country. 93% drop in business revenue in San Francisco. That destroys the economy out there. All right. In 2019, one million hotel rooms were occupied. Okay, this year, less than 50,000. One million, 2019, less than 50,000 this year. You don't think San Francisco's destroyed? It's destroyed. And you know what, you pinheads? You left-wing pinheads in that city by the bay? It's your fault. You elected London Breed and Chase Bodine. You destroyed your own city. And here in New York, we're on our way to that. Maybe the new mayor will turn it around. Chicago, another destroyed city. Totally destroyed. So, 15-year-old Elias Valdez wanted to buy some pot. Okay? So he went up to a 17-year-old drug dealer. And the drug dealer stabbed him to death. Now, they won't release the name of the drug dealer because he's 17 under 18. So the case goes to court. 
the drug dealer, 70-year-old. Yeah, I did it. I stabbed him to death. So Judge Stephen Bernstein, okay, Stephen Bernstein, Cook County judge says, okay, I'm giving you three years probation and 100 hours of community service for taking a human life. A 17-year-old gets probation and 100 hours of community service. This is Cook County, Chicago. Here are the relatives of Elias Valdez. Go. I miss him a lot, a lot. It's so sad I won't be able to see him. I am angry he took my son's life. I'm just asking for justice. I'm just upset and mad to the person who like did this to him because my brother didn't deserve to die like this. Okay. So again, the judge's name is Stephen Bernstein. How, how can you live with self? How? So there's a 15-year-old stabbed to death. The guy who did it says, yeah, I did it. I'm a dope dealer, and I killed him. And he gets probation. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. All right, so there's a poll by YouGov. I don't know what YouGov is, but they did a 42,000 people survey across 38 countries, asked a very simple question, who do you admire most in the world? Let's go with the men uh, up top. I should do the women first, but we'll do cross it up, put it on the screen. Top five most admired men. Uh, number one, Barack Obama. Uh, number two, uh, Bill Gates. Now, I don't really get Bill Gates. Yeah, okay. He's a tech guy and everything, but do I, do I admire Bill Gates? No. Now, three is shocking. President Xi of China. Now, he, this guy is a killer. 
And, you know, you know about the Uyghurs and the concentration camps in Western China. This guy's a killer. What he did to Hong Kong and the people there wanted freedom. And he's the third most admired people. in which shows how screwed up this world is. All right, the fourth most admired is soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, he kicks uh, a little round ball. And the fifth is actor Jackie Chan. Now, I like Jackie Chan. All right, I like him. But it shows you what the Chinese influence is here with Xi and Chan. Um, but do I admire Jackie? <laughs> No, I don't. I don't unadmire him. Is that a word? Unadmire. But you know, in a world where so many people are helping so many other people, now Chan he's an entertainer, and all right. So uh, the women. Let's throw the women on up. First is Michelle Obama. The Obamas obviously worldwide very popular. Uh, second, I don't get it. Angelina Jolie. She, I guess, adopts a lot of children and does humanitarian work. I don't really follow her very closely. Third, Queen Elizabeth II. I do understand that. Uh, It's a woman with dignity in her mid-90s, still kicking. Uh, Fourth, Oprah Winfrey. Um, Okay. Uh, I think Oprah does a lot of good. I'm not exactly sure, but I think she does. And then fifth, I have no idea, Scarlett Johansson. Now, why she is most admired, I mean, nice-looking woman, I don't know. Uh, some other notables on the list, Donald Trump clocked in at 13, Pope Francis at 16, and President Biden at 20. So Trump beat uh, Biden by seven on the most admired list. On the women's side, Vice President Harris at 11, Hillary Clinton at 12. So, you know, I, I'm not disputing uh, the YouGov survey, I, I think, probably. But President Xi? I, I, what is there to admire about this man? Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to the Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here's the final thought of the day. We're all getting older, as I said, even a baby. Every day you get older, you age. So one of the things in my life that I'm experiencing now is I'm dropping stuff. <laughs> I, I, it's never happened to me before. So I usually carry a whole bunch of stuff because I got stuff all over the place. And every time I do that, stuff drops. It's like God saying, hey, you're an old guy now. You go down on the floor. You need a little exercise to get it. Does that happen to you? Are you dropping stuff? And then when I'm eating, I got, I got to kind of lean over like this. Or, you know, it comes out. It just like flies out of the plate onto my shirt. What is that? This never happened before. Now, uh, some of you know I had the gallbladder taken out uh, four weeks ago. It was horrible. Terrible. And uh, the recovery period was a solid four weeks on it. I'm back now. 
But I didn't miss a day of work. I didn't take one day off. I got out of the hospital and I couldn't stand being there. All right. And uh, I did it here. Here. I didn't take any narcotics, no painkillers, a little Tylenol. Okay, that was it. This right here. Okay. If you fight, 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 no matter what malady you have. Now, sometimes your malady is going to overwhelm you. Sometimes it gets too much. I thought I might be overwhelmed by this thing because I got an infection here. I got an infection there. It was bad. But I didn't let it affect my day-to-day living. I walked the terror dog. I did my programs on radio and TV. Got more sleep. Okay? Didn't eat very much. Wasn't real hungry. But I forced myself to get some protein. Okay? But it was this. And, you know, I started... In my younger days as an athlete, a trained athlete, discipline, 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 discipline. That is a key to staying in shape when you get older. Discipline. Okay? You've got to move it. Walk. This, that. Don't eat the sugar. The sugar will kill you and age you. Okay? Discipline, discipline, discipline. Even when you get it. All right? This, this gallbladder thing came out of nowhere. All right? got to fight, fight, fight. It's all up here. This is where it is. All right. And you want to stay vibrant as long as you can. So thank you for watching us today. As always, we will be back tomorrow.